Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we are talking about not desserts, but deserters. <laughs> wow. I didn't get enough of that line in the last episode. I just had to bring it did, back did for this one. Did that come up in the last episode? Oh. I know. It was so great as a joke. It was so novel and original and unique that you just totally like forgot. <laughs> <laughs> So today, before Sam throws me out of the house, we're going over season two, episodes nine and ten. Don't get comfy. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Grievous Intrigue and the Deserter. Mm Mm-hmm. So, how does it begin? So we start in Grievous Intrigue with a Grievous episode. To the surprise of everyone who read the episode title. Exactly. So we get to meet two new Jedi in this episode. There's Jedi Master Eeth. Koth, mm-hmm. who is flying through the Outer Rim, when General Grievous da, 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 boards his ship. And beats the crap out of him with commando droids and magna droids. Yeah, big battle scene. The magna guards are definitely a presence. They actually end up circling Eeth, Koth, and Grievous while they duel. Mm-hmm. Eeth, Koth? E-E-T-H. That's his name. He's doing okay. He's doing fine. But it's like six on one. Yeah. And he's in the middle of a circle of purple Magna Guards. So he is overpowered. Mm-hmm. Grievous basically calls the entire Jedi Order on like a group chat, including the younglings. And he's like, I have your Jedi. I'm going to torture him forever. Yes, which uh, is pretty scary. I don't know why they opened that up in the younglings. However, there is a secret message in his hand taps. Yeah, Ethkoth is a clever guy. He's kind of doing the um he's doing a Morse code tap with his fingers. Well, I mean, it's something different, but yeah, I actually looked that up and there was a American POW during the Vietnam War who did that and uh later ended up becoming a senator or a representative, but It wasn't John McCain, was it? No, no, it was someone else from Alabama. But, okay, interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Ethkoff pulls an American senator. He hand signals that he's been held in the Seleucami system. Like down to the exact coordinates, which is kind of crazy. And the Jedi Council didn't know that that's where he was. They didn't. They didn't. And then we meet another new Jedi who's going to accompany us on our travels. Jedi Master Galia? Adi Galia. Adi Galia. Mm-hmm. We don't actually get her first name in the episode. No. I had to Google that. Yes. She's coming with Obi-Wan and Anakin to rescue Eeth Koth. She's very pretty. She was at the Battle of Geonosis, the first one during oh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Very cool. You can tell because she has like a, uh, you know, a, a head. she's a headdress alien where her yeah, hair is replaced yeah, by like I noticed tentacles. That. So. Just like the uh, Twi'leks and the Tegrudas. Although I do love in the Clone Wars, they really exaggerate the proportions of the rest of the bodies to make them seem more alien. Hmm. Yeah. She looked pretty humanoid to me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Kenobi is like, okay, I know Grievous. I know this guy. He's going to want to come on board and kill me face to face. And then when they pull up, Grievous is like, Kenobi, I can't wait to come on board your ship and kill you face to face. And right when that you know, boarding action is initiated. Anakin and Adi Galea are like, all right, we're going to sneak right in. And she's like, how close are you going to fly? Anakin's like, pretty close. She's like, how close is pretty close? And Anakin's like, I don't think you want to know, yeah, it's, honestly. It's really close. They fly in 
Real close. Real close. If you are a pearl clutcher, this is the appropriate time to clutch your pearls. They come out of hyperspace, like zooming through the various appendages of this ship. It's crazy. They stick on the underbelly of Grievous's ship like a bat. Mm -hmm. They're just upside down. It's very fun. So the plan is for Kenobi to act as bait because they want to get the coordinates of Anakin's ship so that Anakin and Adi Galea can jump right there, Mm -hmm. hop on board, grab Master Koth, hop right back out. And also capture Grievous by having him be aboard Kenobi's ship. That would be ideal. Uh, But it turns out that when Grievous gets off of his ship to engage with Kenobi, he's like, do you think everything is according to plan, Master Kenobi? Has Skywalker rescued Master Koth yet? Da-da-da! They have double-crossed each other. They've they've entrapped each other, yeah. So right when Anakin and Adi Galea show up at Tactical Droid TV94, who's watching Eth Koth, he's like, ha ha ha, the general's predictions of you have been 100% accurate today. Which, which is, is very accurate even for me. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah, Anakin and Adi barge into Koth's holding room and like 12 commando droids pop out from behind the curtains. And if you'll remember from the Ryloth arc and from Rookies, those commando droids pack a punch. They do. There is a very spicy battle scene. Mm-hmm. The tactical droid is like torturing Koth with a button on his wrist. So Anakin Force yeets him over and just cuts his whole arm off. And so the rest of the battle is following this tactical droid as he tries to like get his arm to press the torture button. It's very Pirates of the Caribbean when the guy like loses his eyeball Mm -hmm. because the fork gets stuck to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very fun. But then he's like, I need to press this button, but I don't have a hand to press the button because the button's on my hand. Yeah, but it's still like two against 12. So it's not great odds. The odds are basically the same over with Grievous and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan for a second picks up a Magna Guard staff, which I thought was very cool. Yeah, because Grievous tries to pull the same trick with him where he's like, I'm Grievous. I march in with four Magna Droids. They form a octagon of doom for you to fight in. But (laughs) Obi-Wan is able to use the terrain to his advantage and also just like outfight the Magna Guards. So he knocks Grievous down and then Grievous just like, spiders his way back to his ship. I don't know why he does that. It is so unpleasant. That's why he does it. I just, I hate it. I hate it so much. Mm -hmm. Definite low point of this arc for me was Grievous spider-legging his way (laughs) back onto his ship. What Cody and his crew do is they are very useful. They shoot a grappling hook into Grievous's back and they like drag him towards them. Mm -hmm. They football tackle him. Yeah. It's effective for like two seconds. Yeah. And they end up such that it's it's a lot of back and forth in this next little bit. Yeah. But they end up such that Anakin and Adi and Rex and some other clones are aboard their shuttle with Freeing Koth. Koth. Yeah, they mm-hmm. freed Koth. Uh, he's hanging out with Anakin. Adi goes to head off Grievous. Oh, right. And then Grievous puts himself in a landing craft. Yeah, because he ordered his droids to shoot Kenobi's ship. But now he's actually stuck as they're being bombed. On, like, the and then the boarding them. tunnel breaks. Yeah, and it's like sucking vacuum out and everyone's climbing around on grappling hooks. It's pretty tense. Pretty tense. Adi has to fire a rope down to help Kenobi drag himself back in from space before he does like an aliens moment. (laughs) And then Anakin grabs them from Grievous's hangar 
But Grievous and some of his droids, the remaining droids, already jumped into some craft to like crash land on Seleucami. Yeah, those big, uh, ginormous H-shaped droid landing craft. Yeah, yeah, wings. yeah. But on the way down, it gets something crashed into it and it goes There's crazy. some shrapnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all the Jedi do end up making it back. And Koth is like, Grievous only lived because you split your forces to save me. And I really would have rather you let me die if it would have helped us to entrap that monster. Yeah. And then the moral of the story is like, well, we all live to fight another day and and do another tango with Grievous when we can. Which is what, you know, Anakin says, which is interesting because Anakin, you know, if he's your buddy, you get to live. And if you're just a nameless person to him, he will sacrifice your life. So Mm -hmm. I think that is probably true. Yeah. So in the next episode, that's the end of Grievous Intrigue. We begin with Deserter. And in this case, Rex is with Obi-Wan and Cody, and they have landed and they're following this trail of wreckage looking for where Grievous is. So Grievous's ship is completely crashed and the transmitter to call for reinforcements or a pickup is gone, but they know that one of the escape pods still has a working transmitter, so they're going to head towards that. Yeah, but all of his droids are on like 1% battery. (laughs) And there's a funny scene. He's riding some like local beast. And he's like, why are you dreads so terrible? And they're like, I, we're sorry. If you would let us ride on the beast, we would have full charge. And he like chops one in half and like, yep, we're fine. We have full charge. 97% over here doing just great. Yeah, but he does end up losing basically all of them to normal attrition as they make their way to the next spot. Now, Rex and his gang, which is Jesse, Hardcase, and Kicks, split off and had on cool speeder bikes to sweep around. Meanwhile, Cody and Obi-Wan take the tanks and head mm-hmm, towards mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. general thing. So he sends Rex out on a fast mission. They come across a point where there is a sniper's nest of commando droids yeah. and Rex takes one in the freaking lungs. Yeah, like a good old shot to the chest. Mm-hmm. Kicks like a mule. Yeah, he gets knocked off his speeder bike the rest of the clones run forward and you know resolve the sniper's nest, but then they have to get Rex to help. Yeah, here's where it gets interesting, right? Yeah, so they realize that the animals nearby are domesticated and they're on a farm. And where there's a farm, there's farmers. So they go to the farm and there's a Twi'lek woman there and two Beautiful. little kids. Mm-hmm. Very French. She's got like super magenta skin and is wearing like a kind of revealing top for a farmer. She's like a single mom who works too hard, (laughs) but looks very gorgeous while she's doing it. And uh, so they're like, yeah, we're just passing through. If you have like a barn, we can leave our dude in. That would be great because otherwise you have to sling him over the front of our speeder bikes. And sweet baby Rex has actual nerve damage. My honey. Yeah, yeah. He's in rough shape and they end up being like, no, you are too hurt to keep fighting. And he's like, well, this is lame. You gotta sit this one out, bro. Yeah. They like put the wrestling towel over his neck. They're like, Mm -hmm. okay, boss, have fun. Heal up. Next thing he knows, he's getting licked by a cow. Gross. Yeah, as... um. Here's the important thing. Mm-hmm. One of the kiddos, so the kiddos are Shea and Jack. Mm-hmm. Shea comes up to Rex and is like, you look like my dad. Yes. Ba-ba-bum. So there's a lot of back and forth as we go from the A plot to the B plot in yeah. this one. And so basically there's more of Grievous abusing droids. 
there's a lot of Kenobi getting closer to where Grievous is. Grievous finally meets up with his pod, uh, the escape pod, and all of his droids are on low power and they're like, hey, there's life forms approaching, so set up a defensive perimeter. Now, meanwhile, Rex is having dinner with his the actual man of the house, the paterfamilias of this farm, which is a man named Cut Laquane. Which is a total inner city Atlanta name if I've ever heard <laughs> really? of Really? But the important thing is that he's a clone deserter. He is a clone deserter. He deserted after the Battle of Geonosis Mm -hmm. when his entire unit got shot to hell. And he lives out way in the middle of nowhere raising a family. His adorable family. And this is the first time I've said it. I've heard it said it out loud, actually, that it's against the rules for the clones to have children. So this is a radical moment. Yeah. And there is a lot of really interesting discourse back and forth Mm -hmm. between Cut and Rex Because Rex is like, oh, I would never. And Cut's like, yeah, you would. I'm as close to you as any two biological Mm -hmm. beings can be. I understand you. I've been inside your head. So fascinating. It really is. However, after their interesting dinner conversation, the kids go outside and play and they find a big metal egg full of monsters. It's one of the other escape crafts. Yeah. It's full of 20 commando droids. It was like that moment in Mando when they activate all of the dark... Troopers. Dark troopers. Yeah. Crazy. All their red eyes come on. The kids run screaming into the house. Rex is like... You just can't trust spooky cornfields. Like, I'm not (laughs) sorry about it. That should be common sense. I don't care if you're two years old. I love that we're watching these and it's, uh, you know, quote unquote spooky season. It's basically Halloween. Yeah, these these are fun spooky season episodes. So Rex is like, give me a gun. I will defend this house. And Cut says, no. You're sir, not, you're not in charge respectfully, here. Respectfully, sir. Yeah. I know you're a captain. However, you are able to hold one gun, so please be the last line of defense for my family. And I teared up. Holy oh, moly. wow. So Cut pulls out his, you know, big laser hunting rifle and starts taking him out. He is a very effective fight. He must have been a hell of a soldier because he is taking out the first wave of commando droids without wasting a shot. Yeah, he is really good. But then they come up from the basement, overwhelm him and knock him to the floor. Rex is upstairs with the kids and Sue, who is the wife, and he gets like three headshots off before Mm -hmm. one of them on the ground shoots the floor out from underneath Rex. They land one, like the last commando droid picks up Rex by his neck and cut shoots the droid in the head. Crazy. It took both of them fighting flat out, but they did it. But they did it. So back at Grievous, there is a fight. Kenobi decides to charge forward and fight Grievous because this is all taking too long. It's not going to work. A shuttle comes over overhead. They start shooting at the shuttle. The tank guns overheat. Grievous pulls out his handy-dandy grappling hook, shoots the shuttle, and says, fly away. And he flies off dangling from a shuttle like a... Later, Tater. Oh, my gosh. It's like a moose and squirrel villain, you know? Oh, my He's God. just like, ha-ha, team it's rocket off to blast runner. off again. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of goofy. Kenobi is pissed. Kenobi is real pissed and then they're like hey rex what's up he's like yeah i had a 
Kenobi says, you missed the party. And Rex says, I missed, I had a little bit of party on my own. No, he said, I had one of my own to attend to, yes. which the double meaning of that is delightful. That it is. And then uh, Sue is like, are you going to turn my mm-hmm. husband in? And Rex is like, oh, I don't know, on my condition. Well, yeah, Rex says, I, I have to, I have to do my duty. But in my condition, I probably won't remember any I'm of this. I'm not going to remember any of this, including yeah. your adorable children. Yeah. And then he uh, rides off into the sunset on a well-packed horse, you know, space horse. Space horse. Shorsh. 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 That. Some kind of screecher. Some kind of screecher. And that ends this arc, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's an arc. So you teared up. Tell me about that. The concept of making your last stand mm. always gets me a little bit like in the um, second battle of Geonosis when Obi-Wan is beat up and he's like going to stand oh, up. Yeah. I was like, ah. like watching someone get their affairs in order and be ready to go down fighting is pretty meaningful to me. And the discourse between Cut and Rex and how Cut, is, he has every answer for Rex. Because, you know, what else is he going to He's out there with his space ox plowing his fields. And he's like, what kind of conversations does he have with himself? He has conversations about what would I tell another clone? What would I tell one of my brothers? Oh. And that is the conversation he has because he turns everything Rex says into a question of self-determination. He does. He does. Fascinating discourse in this arc. So this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. My original note for this episode was... I remember very little of what happened in this episode, comma, low emotional depth. And you know me, I'll cry at anything. And you've changed a lot in that. There's a couple of episodes, uh, for example, uh, Rookies, Rookies, where you're like, Rookies is the hardest I've ever cried at Clone Wars. And your original note for that says, clone episodes are boring and I'll die on this hell. Thank you for quoting that verbatim, (laughs) Sam. Okay, but I stand by my original note for this this episode. I literally emotionally could not have cared less about what was going on in this episode. And it's so interesting to me that we have such a different experience with this. So there's two parallel things going on in this episode that I think are really important. When Obi-Wan and Grievous are fighting in the bridge of uh, Obi-Wan's Corvette there, Obi-Wan says, I don't know something to be effective. I don't know why you do this. What are you really? You're just the leader of a bunch of droids. You're the hatchet man for You have a mutilated body. You're Dooku's errand boy. Exactly. Those those are the phrases he used. And Grievous is counteracting. And he says, you know, no, it's the greatest droid army the galaxy has ever seen. And Obi-Wan says, but an army with no soul, no spirit is nothing. Now- Flash forward to when the droids are dying of low battery. And Mm. Grievous says, these stupid, worthless droids. Yeah. So remember the last Grievous arc when I was so desperate for some characterization, Mm -hmm. some motive? We got like a scrap 
an additional scrap from this episode, which is that Grieva says, what I have to gain is a future where there are no more Jedi. Which ironically is kind of what happened. Yeah. So that wow. is, yeah, that is what Grievous was aiming for. Now, I want to contrast what Grievous is saying about his army and what Obi-Wan is saying about the droid army with the self-determination that Cut and Rex have. Oh, okay. Because that is the parallel tracks of these two episodes that binds them together in my mind. Okay, so tell me all about it. Well, let's, let's keep that in mind and then talk about... Okay, yeah. So... Returning to my point about the mm-hmm. emotional depth of this episode, I wrote down that The Deserter was one of the episodes that had me convinced that people were crazy for wanting to watch all seven seasons of The Clone Wars. Really? Yeah. Huh. Or maybe that I was crazy for not getting it. Because in my first watch through, I remember thinking, yeah, Cut deserves to be turned in. Like, I'm a type A overachiever person, and I was like, this guy shirked his duty. I was drinking the Rex Kool-Aid. I was like, this guy doesn't deserve this life that he stole. I I feel like my eyes are bugging out of their sockets. They are, they are. Sam has this horrified look on his face. This time, you know, what changed was my feeling towards Cut. I was like, he's got a beautiful family. Mm -hmm. He's a deep philosophical thinker. His feeling about his life was that he was not capable of authenticity and meaning Mm -hmm. and that he was a pawn. Yes. And this episode, this watch through, I felt sad to see Rex be so narrow minded. Rex is not the quick. I mean, so that actually goes back to something really interesting. When Obi-Wan in the beginning of the second episode, Obi-Wan says, Rex, you take your team and, and run off. Cody and Obi-Wan are talking about Rex. And Obi-Wan says that Rex is always thinking on his feet. He's and the a clone smart man. says that's a smart man. Exactly. And so always thinking on his feet, very smart, but also is willing to sit on something for a while mm. and let it burrow into his skin. Because we've talked a lot of Rex is, you know, the clone protagonist of the Clone Wars. Sure, sure. And part of that is that he is such an independent thinker. And so when he is dealing with something like this deserter, it's not, he is not marginalized by it or weakened by it or threatened by it, I don't think, as much as another clone might be. You mean he doesn't totally spin off the rails? Yeah, he doesn't fall completely into his training of like, I must turn this person in. He says, I'm going to take in this whole situation, think it through and make hold my own counsel. Yeah, because the two extreme reactions to this new thought process or this realization would be either I have to hold true to my training and I have to reject this utterly or this deserter has the right idea and I also need to desert the army because free will and Mm self-determination. It says a lot about Rex's capacity to inhabit spaces of ambiguity Yeah, that he's able to choose the moderate middle path and say, I'm going to keep thinking about it. Yeah. And I think that is something that we on this podcast have valued, especially in the Anakin injured arc, Mm -hmm. the ability to walk that line of moderation and of shades of gray and many things can be right at the same time. Paradox. Yeah, for sure. Paradox. For sure. 
And definitely the idea of a deserter who gives himself a good acquittal and who you just conveniently forget about is like an old trope. Mm. You know, that's that's a common old like war movie or samurai movie kind of thing. Yeah, feeling. see, I don't watch war movies, so I don't know these things. Yeah, so there's a bit of that there because the honor, that's something else that Obi-Wan says to Well, Grievous. that's the fortune cookie, is yeah. it not? It is the quest for honor that makes one honorable. Yep. Yeah. And so when Kenobi says, your army has no honor, and then because honor is something between Rex and Cut, and that like Cut is able to rotate the whole thing around and say, I left the army because the army is defending what is now my way of life, mm. I guess. And now I get to defend this way of life. But it's it's an interesting back and forth because as a clone, you are a tool. You don't get to ever experience that way of life. And he made a different decision. He wanted to experience that way of life instead of protect it. Yeah, there's a really interesting chapter in the Rex and Cut dialogue because they get to have different chapters of this over yeah, dinner, over a game of hollow wrestling. Uh, it's Dejaric. Oh, Dejaric. Yeah. Oh, that's what's on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Cool, cool. They're playing Dejaric. And... Rex says something to the effect of, well, I believe in what I do because, you know, my children, he just says, my children yeah. will be safe in the world that we're creating. And Cud is like, oh, well, you can't have any children. That's against the rules. That's against the rules. And so Rex's crux of his argument is that he believes he is making his own informed choices. Mm -hmm. But if he's just making the choices that he is socialized to make, is he exerting free will? Is he really making choices? Mm -hmm. Do any of us really have free will? Do any of us make our own choices? So very importantly, once again, this is across the backdrop of the sort of second quarter of the Iraq war, mm. you know? And at that time, it was still an era of freedom fries and freedom isn't free and all of these slogans that we are protecting America from XYZ. I mean, that's the whole, like, what was the idea for the Iraq war was Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice says, you know, we don't want the... Um, smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. And they, mm. they just fear-mongered and fear-mongered. And there was all this this phrasing. Freedom is still the shorthand for mm -hmm. patriotism. Well, for, uh, you know, neoliberal capitalism and power projection. Absolutely. I live in a very, very military... Part of the country? Yeah. District? How, yeah, I live in a military district, so I'm quite familiar with the buzzwords and the arguments and the lifestyle. Yeah. It's and a, it is like this. And and the, the phraseology permeates. And so when you hear that Rex is repeating these things because they were drilled into him and it's, you know, I don't imagine he is often asked why he fights. No, because he lives in his... But his bubble, his echo chamber. He he tells people how to fight. He hangs out and plays cards with, you know, Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Cody. And they're all just like... Oh, that's such a nice visual. Isn't it? But they, you know, they're all just like, all right, so check it out. Next time we come across a wall, I'm going to climb up it and Ahsoka's <laughs> going to do a triple backflip. And it's like, that's what they talk about. Oh my God. Because they're all completely... um, But 
I mean, they're all socialized in that way. Cut has been away from the military for a while, and it is a person with his own personal opinions. And when he asks critically, because he had a moment of fear. He did. That's why he chose to run, because he lost his whole team of brothers. Mm -hmm. And what Rex says is, I've lost brothers too. They were my family, my home. Mm -hmm. They were my home. Yes. And later when Rex leaves, Cut is like, you can stay if you want to. And Rex is like, my family is elsewhere. What he's saying is like, my home is not here. You made a home, but my home is people too. Got chills from that. I know, it was beautiful. Well, because I've seen the future. Um, Mm. So the, the critical questions that Cut asks of Rex because he asked them of himself in order to get over his personal presumably the way he felt after a failure after leaving a battle are the things that rex internalizes and has to learn and that Mm. lesson shows why the clones are such a superior fighting force to droids but also why they're in many ways an inferior fighting force yes because yeah droids don't defect unless jabo gets a hold of them that is exactly what Obi-Wan is saying to Grievous as they're exactly. dueling on the ship. Exactly. He's so like, that's, what is the power of having an army that can't say no to you? Yeah. And because like, okay, and then this is what uh, Kenobi says at the end. He says, we're exactly back where we started. Mm-hmm. But, oh my God. The frustration of that moment. I felt that. But that's not true at all because what we've done is we've painted a picture of how the droids and the clones are similar but different in terms of an army. And moving forward in the Clone Wars, the emphasis on the clones is so important. And Cut Laquane as a character, because we also have, you know, Slick, who was the betrayer earlier. Mm-hmm. We have the Who rookies. I weirdly had a ton of empathy for. So I don't know if I'm broken or what, <laughs> but like I did not get that from Cut. You know, seeing clones do something different really makes them much more interesting and it brings a depth to the war that it didn't have before. Well, and you have your headcanons and I have mine. And Mm -hmm. one of my headcanons is that even though all of the clones have Jango Fett's DNA, my headcanon is that they all got slightly different pieces of that gene expression that came out on top. Yeah. So one of my big questions, I don't know why this is where my brain goes, But one of my big questions for this episode, I was like, okay, so the clones are not allowed to have children, Mm -hmm. question mark, ever. Like, I don't know if there's plans for anyone to get a pension fund or get, like, retirement or if no one is thinking about that. No one's thinking about if the clones could, like, retire and start a family. I mean, like, speaking of the Iraq war, you know, like... The what what to do with soldiers when they come home is not something that people who persecute wars often think about because it's a wow. very long tail in terms of the costs of a soldier. Like when, for example, in the U.S. military, you know, you you fire a $250,000 shoulder fired missile and the soldier gets paid $50,000 a year. And that seems crazy, but you got to pay that soldier basically the rest of their life, especially if they, you know, that that shoulder fired missile makes them deaf or something, you know, Mm. but that is a cost in the future. And every single calculation done at a high level, you know, every time that you bring in teams of accountants, as opposed to an individual accountant, you have a cost over time. 
and you depreciate that cost as you move forward. And the cost of a human life over time decreases so rapidly. Mm, we, especially because the clones only live, how yeah. many years do do the clones live if they aren't they, they killed? Live, they live at least through the end of the original trilogy. Yeah, that's all we know. Yeah, and that's 25 years from now. Okay, so. I've deviated extremely from my original point. Yes, please. So Kat tells Rex, like, I know what you want because I'm as, well... Okay, my question is, are there gay clones? Good question. That's the question. So there exists a uh, fact of biology that as a man, the more older brothers you have, the more likely you are to be gay. Which I think is a delicious piece of irony because in most of human history, when there's a lot of like boys in the family, I feel like there's a really paternalistic very patriarchal culture. And I love that, like, the brothers have to deal with that. I mean, maybe, but maybe, you know, the other thing is that there's probably some combination. I mean, there's certainly some combination of genetic and epigenetic components, which leads to gender identity and sexual identity, because everything's, you know, gen everything's genetic and epigenetic. Are there gay clones? Man, I don't know. I mean, they all have Django's DNA. Does that make them all heterosexual? And then that begs the question, is Django heterosexual? Yeah. We don't know. Who we don't knows? know because so many of the clones, like we saw in Rookies, you've never even met a girl. Yeah, honestly, the only clone that we know uh, has had kids is uh, Cut. Well, <laughs> actually, I did the math and mm -hmm. the Battle of Geonosis that Cut defected from was only two years ago, which means that when he met Sue and Shea mm -hmm. and maybe Jack, they were already born. Maybe. They um, they definitely look older than two. Maybe, but they also have splotches of like uh, Django fat or, you know. They've got kind of a humanoid olive yeah, skin yeah. color, but the math doesn't add up. That's a very good point. They could be someone else's kiddos and Cut is their really awesome stepdad. Could be. Isn't that interesting? Could be. Although, you know, I... Do, I <laughs> The, I'm sitting here so, like... Yeah. Like, <laughs> so also, like, this shows the... How how uh, how likely is a hybrid between two species, right? Because yeah. Twi'leks and humans are are different. Although Sue is a sexy Twi'lek, I'll give her that. She totally is. She, she totally puts off the uh, like kind of roadhouse like back of the motorcycle lady look to me. She, like yeah, like uh, bike candy. Yeah. No, she looks like the nose art. She looks like a beautiful pinup girl that they would put on the poster in the barracks, you know? Yeah. And you know, so the clones do do that. And I'd imagine if they were like all gay, then they'd just have, you I'm know, I'm not like, saying all of them are gay. I just, I would love- Maybe some of them? I would love for some kind of canon content to at least ask the question or address genetics in a more satisfying way. I'll tell you this. There's definitely tons of non-canon content for all no, of your gay clone desires. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sam. I am sure. Don't get I it twisted. Sure. I am sure. I'm just curious. I'm yeah. not looking for smut. I'm just looking oh, for well, answers. Then I, then I don't think you'll find anything. Then you got but, nothing for me. Okay, yeah, I fine. Nothing. I got okay. nothing non smutty. Sorry. All right. Well, that, Desolée. That is interesting. That's that's an interesting read. Um, don't ask me why my brain asked the question, where it came from. It's just genetics. 
it's it's a lot of things because the clones are also conditioned and you know there's also just like so i'm firmly of the belief that people don't like change their paradigm you know the the sum of their thinking patterns unless they undergo a profound chemical or physical tra- uh change or trauma to their head well i have a very wise friend who says you will stay the same until the pain of transformation is less than the pain of staying the same yeah yeah, yeah for sure and so the point i'm trying to make here is maybe cut took a dinger to the head that like swelled up some parts of his brain and activated the deserter core or the like oh, maybe. i'm gonna settle down with the family core maybe although Django fett is a really smart guy so all yeah. the clones got his intelligence presumably and this is just the way they are they're capable of big thoughts about their place in the universe yeah. So one of my very favorite web comics ever, it was extremely long running. It finished after 20 years of daily strips. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's called Schlock Mercenary. And there's a scene where a, it takes place in like the 30th century. And it takes place where a, there's a scene where a character from the 20th century is simultaneously duplicated into like 4.3 billion copies of himself. What? And so now he's like a statistically significant proportion of humanity what and it's very funny talking to this character because he's like yeah there's a shortage of leggy blondes you know because like that is this character's type but now there's a billion of them now there's four mm. billion of them now imagine what it's like to be uh, a, clone. a leggy blonde yeah now all of the clone nose art we see is always like Twi'leks. Sexy Twi'leks. Yeah, yeah. So, so Cut's living the dream, you know? No, I know he is. I'm, isn't that funny? I love that for him. Yeah. I just, I have so many questions. And it makes me wonder, like, maybe that's just, just worked out perfectly for him, too. Could be. Or he just found this hot single farmer Twi'lek with two adorable children and was like, yo, let I, me get in on this action. I feel like their skin coloration definitely implies. Okay, well then on, yeah. the Clone War staff is very bad at math. And I feel that I'm also very bad at math. So like no harm, no foul. And also, I mean, you don't know like how fast Twi'lek human hybrid babies grow. Maybe they grow super fast. Maybe they have that fast growing clone DNA. Well, oh, actually that... Wait, that makes perfect sense. Okay, well, you close the loophole on my big mega brain thought. My my head cannon is strong. (sighs) It was nice to have one for a minute. I really thought I had you there. This is fine. (laughs) Yeah, who knows? I mean, what happens on uh, Rishi Station stays on Rishi Station. That's what they say. Whoa. Really? (laughs) It really does, because all the clones got eaten. Yeah. Now your eyes are bugging out. (laughs) My only other note was that I really liked Eeth Koth's design, his character design. Really? Because he looked like a really sweet guy, but mm-hmm. his features are the ones that we see very stereotypically on villain characters. Yeah, he is a Iridonian, I believe. Oh, okay. He's got horns all over his forehead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of like purple tattoo designs all up and down his face. Or sort of like a plate skin kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe, like, yeah. Like a look like Darth Maul, except he's, um, yeah. 
not like that. Now there's a character in the Knights of the Old Republic game, I believe Knights of the Old Republic one, called Bowder, and he is also an Iridonian mm. who looks like that. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bummed to get two new Jedi Masters in one episode, because I or in one arc, because I feel like that guarantees that they're not gonna get, they're not gonna be as important. Plo Koon got three episodes to do a cameo in. Yeah. And Plo Koon, we now recognize and we know his personality. And then to get Adi Galia and Eeth Koth in one episode jam-packed together, mm-hmm. they didn't really seem like very strong characters. They were just kind of there. Yeah, we are going to see at least more of Adi Galia. I don't mm. I don't really recall Eeth Koth more. He's quite forgettable, although he might be one of the ones in the throne room in Order 66. Yeah, there's... There, they were just, I'm very diffident yeah. about so much of this arc. Well, so this is part of the Star Wars thing. We've talked about how every single character in the cantina scene has a first a, name, a last name, a, a mom who is a planet a name, they're from. A yeah, a story. Food. Like, yes, they went to the same high school as Han Solo, but <laughs> no, they've never talked since. <laughs> yeah, it's very silly. It's a very big school. Now, Adi Galia and Ethkoth, you see them both at the Battle of Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. And so this is kind of that of like, let's oh, give them okay. a name. Let's put their place. Let's just kind of... Um, Flesh ex- them out a little. Yeah, expand the world by shrinking it a little, by mm. putting putting names to faces. Okay, that's nice. So that's what I got out of it. I loved Anakin's flying scene. I think that's the first time we've seen one of those shuttles. It's got a little ball in front and three it's wings. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. the red one. Yeah, those are those are really cool. But that shuttle is interesting because it's got three wings and a rectangular box and then a sphere in the front. And it looks just like a Lambda class shuttle from the original trilogy, except the Lambda class has a, a DeLorean on the front and oh he's, at a, he's at an orb. And that shows the lineage. And hmm. the lineage of the ships is something that I've always really loved about the prequel era. They... There is a specific effort put in to make the ships look like they evolve from each other. And then it turns out that they kind of do, kind of don't, which hmm. really speaks to me in the way of how biology and technology both revisit old ideas and evolve existing ideas back and forth or time after time. I find that very cool and comforting. Hmm. That is nice. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say about the plot and the importance of uh, self-reflection and like self-determination on this one. So I and have gayness. just and gay. and, yeah, I mean, and having kiddos and having kiddos. Yeah. Um, but I want to know who rose above the ranks of all these interesting characters oh. for you. Who is your bay? Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? Bay it's time for Baywatch. Bay it's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. I don't have great reasoning. I'm purely going on instinct here. All right. I feel like it's Cut. I feel like it's Cut LaQuain, my Atlanta boy. Cut LaQuain. Cut LaQuain is such an Atlanta name. <laughs> Cut LaQuain. I mean, Cut is a great clone name, you know? Like, Cut. Oh, yeah. yeah. We got a lot of great clone names in this arc. We got Kicks, Jesse, Hardcase. Yeah, yeah, all over the place. Yeah, Cut is a good one. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so he's Space Dad. He's uh, Little House on the Prairie. He's a crack shot with his, 
you know, space rifle. He's got a really hot wife. He's got a farm. He's, he's got, got a two lovable children. He's he's very much that idea. And this is man, this feels like it goes way, way back. This maybe it's because I continually inflate uh or conflate Brother Where Art Thou and The Odyssey, but it oh, feels wait. because of the same story, but it feels like the story where you sit down at like the farmer's house and then engage with the farmer at this like high-level philosophical discussion. I feel like that goes back to ancient Greece. It is very much the archetype of the hermit. Yes. For sure. The Mm -hmm. person who secretes themselves away from society to have their deep thoughts and to live counter to society in a way that feels more meaningful to them. And Cut might be doing that with his family, but he's still doing that. Yeah, but it's also like the lived life. Right. Mm-hmm. And and also he is the living personification of self-determination. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that I chose Cud as my bay is partially because whether or not he's the biological dad of these kiddos, mm-hmm. he is doing a crack job raising them. Yeah. Like there's several moments that we get when he asks his kids to affirm some of the lessons that he's teaching them. Yeah. He's like, what do we do when strange people break into our barn and need help? They're like, we always help as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, what an incredibly powerful lesson from someone who is in hiding from the Republic. Very much so. Yeah. The prudent lesson would be to teach your kids we don't interact with strangers at all. Mm-hmm. Live and let live. Stay hidden. But no, he's like, go play in the cornfield. Help strangers. Be good and kind. He's very open with them and he yeah. shares knowledge with them. I just think like he's... The kids are all right, you know? The dad is okay. Yeah. They're doing good work. Good for them. I definitely see Cut as a really strong, interesting figure in here. And in many ways, he he expands what it means to be a clone, Mm -hmm. not just in the sense of like living a different life, but in that rustic philosopher. Yeah. Which is which is cool. That's a that's a good look. And I think for me, it's going back to the Roman times and like Cincinnatus, Hmm. who was the Roman uh, back during the Roman Republic era. He became he was a farmer and the Roman Republic asked him to be the dictator because they needed to defend against some enemy. I don't recall which. And he was a dictator and he ran the whole Roman Republic. And then his term was up and he said, I'm going home to live on my farm. Wow. Yeah. The uh, the soldier who trades in their sword for Plushers. like a scythe. Yeah. 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 So cuts my bay. All right. I like it. I Who's it. your bay? It's got to be Rex. Yeah. Rex uh, expands in his role as a clone with a deep heart and a deep mind in this episode. Mm, oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see that. And... Obi-Wan sees that as well. Yes. Because Obi-Wan is sitting there and he's like, all right, what do we have on the ground? We have 10 tanks. We got a battalion here. One Co- Rex. Yeah. Cody and I are going to take this. Rex and your boys have like four speeder bikes. You go take care of the other half of the battle. Yeah, I know. Because you guys chill with Anakin and I don't know what you're up to. I don't want to know what you're up to. I just, just like- know that you are deeply and surprisingly effective always. Yes. And... 
Uh, also, this is really fun because it introduces Kix and Hardcase and Jesse, who we're going to see a lot of. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Good. There's been a Domino Squad-shaped void in my heart since, you know, most Domino of them squad. died. Yeah. Yeah. to fill my little heart back up with clones to love. Yay. Yeah, you know, you want you want a couple of them because they do end up having such interesting personalities and Dee Bradley Baker is so good at them. And mm-hmm. oh man, particularly in those cut and Rex dialogues. Yeah. Back and forth. I mean, I'm still not over him voicing Queen Karina the Great <laughs> back on Geonosis, but yes, he is also very good as two different clones. Yeah, particularly, I mean, can you even imagine like, and and I'm like, what's more of a conceit to be having like a philosophical conversation with yourself with a clone of yourself living Ooh. in a different life? Isn't that kind of a cool thought? I just, for some reason, I loved that thought about Cut saying, I'm as close to you as anybody in the entire universe. Mm-hmm. That made me feel so lonely mm. and how beautiful it would be to be known that intimately by someone that's fascinating why why does that make you feel lonely because like unless well, there's you are a clone, three million clones out there more, and they yeah. all know each other intimately and yeah. like that must make the brotherhood feel like it goes so deep and i mean that's why they call each other brother and yeah that's why they're yeah not huh. lonely in a bad way but lonely in a very like that would be cool i don't think human beings are ever going to know anyone that intimately no well I not mean, even twins yeah. Now that said, that solitude away from that, that most people do feel the solitude of being unique is not mm. something that the clones ever have, but Cut is able to do by living way the crap out there in the sticks yeah, and living a life completely separate from whatever other clone lives. You know what I love is that I think that was actually the fortune cookie of Grievous Intrigue. For everything you gain, you lose something else. Oh, that is interesting. Isn't that cool? It's the paradox. Yeah. We, yeah. I I think these two episodes, like you said, perhaps the emotional impact isn't there unless you're looking for it. But I think these are the types of ones that push the story along with a subtlety. Yeah. The philosophical discourse will definitely stay with me. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a real strength in the versatility of a show that can make me cry for one reason and then make you tear up for a totally different reason. Yeah. I think that is extremely, extremely cool. Yeah. It's funny because I know that you get teared up at the thought. The of, obvious stuff. You well, know? I mean, it's not so obvious, but for example... Uh, when Barris and Ahsoka were in the tank about to like coming to terms with their deaths. Mm-hmm. And then for me, it's cut at, at the bottom of the stairs coming to terms with his death. Yeah. It's a really powerful emotion, but it's interesting that we grok it differently, that we grab onto it differently. And I wonder if it's just that we're in different stages of our lives. I would think so. Yeah. Because I don't feel like I'm, in the stage of my life where I'm a Padawan as much anymore. Mm. I definitely equate more with like Rex or Cut in that like I've been doing what I've been doing for a couple of years. I have a momentum in my life 
And it would take a pretty significant change to shake that up one way or the other, like significantly, you know, there's, yeah, there's yeah. alterations. And I've always said that I relate so hard to Ahsoka mm-hmm. and that there are things that I'm very, very good at. And I also have big questions about where I'm going. Whereas I feel like I relate really strongly to Rex in that once I learn a system, I am an expert in it. But as far as um, like going and doing something perfectly new, I'd really prefer to have uh, someone to take the heat. Yeah. You know? Well, you're in your groove. Yeah. Because because my groove is, you know, execution and uh, optimization. optimization. Yeah. yeah. So Cool. <laughs> That's the Clone Wars, man. I just like it more and more. Yeah. And I'm this... drinking the Clone Wars Kool-Aid over here. <laughs> chug, <juice>. chug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it rolls. So I was doing some sort of math here, and this is going to be our 27th episode. This is our 26th episode. 26th episode. Cool. And so we're about a third of the way through the Clone Wars now. Wow. Yeah, we're going to... Sometime around the 60s or 70s, we're going to, of episodes of the podcast, we're going to be done with the Clone Wars and ready to move on. That is super cool. Because there is so much ground to cover. I mean, we're going to see more of of Cody, of Rex, of Kix, of Hardcase, of Jesse, Anakin, Adi Galea. It's going to be really cool seeing all this background and the lessons that people are learning along the way really brings a lot to me, of the Clone Wars experience. All right, everybody. I think that's it for this episode. Yeah. Make sure to, um, if you see us on the street, ask us for our new business cards. We put them up on social. It's such a fun thing to have like a physical manifestation. I just, I always talk to Trader Joe's cashiers about the podcast and then I forget to tell them the name of it. Yeah. So then they can never listen to it because I am a dum-dum. It's called Growing Up Skywalker. Don't be like Rex and remember to tell people about our podcast. Oh my God. (laughs) And if you want more Skywalker, you can follow us on social media. We are at Growing Up Skywalker on all the major social platforms. And we have a new Patreon to say thank you to. Oh yeah. It's Jess. Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for being our new patron. And finally, join us next week. For, oh my God, you guys, it is... The episode that is the reason for Baywatch. Yeah. It is Lightsaber Lost with Master Sinu Bay himself. I'm freaking out. I'm so excited over here. I'm freaking out. Freak yeah. out. <laughs> she, she really is. All right. Yeah. So see you next week. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't forget to be based.